Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. I love bringing dialogues like this to you. Dr. Guy Ichikov, I consider another person who through Sidewalk Talk I've developed a friendship with. And I can't tell you when you're somebody who likes to learn about the real science behind things like empathy and listening, having a friend like Dr. Ichikov is a dream come true. He's an assistant professor at the University of Haifa and the Department of Human Services. And he obtained his PhD from the School of Business Administration at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And he was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto at the Rodham School of Management. His focal research has been on the effects of high quality listening on facilitating a change in the speaker's emotions, cognitions, and behavior. So you can imagine why. I like talking to him. I first found him because he had a really great piece published in the Harvard Business Review about how good listening actually helps the talker open up. And this dialogue about listening is going to be one you are going to want to get a pen and piece of paper out because I still reference my notes from every conversation that I had with Dr. Ichikov. And he's also the person that's doing scientific impact studies on how sidewalk talk style listening influences the behavior of the listener for the first time. So how is the listener changed from listening? So without further ado, Dr. Guy Ichikov. Well, it's so nice to get to talk to you after a few years now of getting to talk to you um, guy, because I remember the first time I met you, I didn't even know how to say your name. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everyone's already heard the, the bio that we pre-recorded about you. But um, tell a little bit, of, tell, tell our audience a little bit about how we met and why, why, why we talk as often as we do. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that I reflect about it, I think it's an interesting progress, the, the one that you and I made. Um, I think our first conversation was when I was in my postdoctoral studies in Toronto, in Canada, mm-hmm. um, which was in 2018, late 2018. Um, if I, my memory is correct, um, your assistant contacted me after um, the piece in the Harvard Business Review was published. And then we started, we had the first conversation about listening. And then I learned about the sidewalk talk. Um, And I think since then we've had at least like six or seven more additional formal and non-formal talks, even more, I think. Well, and then you had lots of talks with with, um, a volunteer who helped 
craft some research that hopefully we'll get to reboot and and do some more of. But what, what I want you all to know is that when I talk with Guy, I call him up and say, I have this crazy idea about listening because his expertise is in listening. And I will say, can you send me any research on this? And then he sends me all these research papers and then I geek out. And I just, it's so nice for me to talk with you because, A, you do all the hard stuff, which is all the research and the science, and I can just ask you all the questions. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask them all the questions that you might want to ask somebody who is an expert on listening. And for all the folks that listen to this podcast that already listen with Sidewalk Talk, this one you won't want to miss because Guy is behind the research that, that you have been currently filling out and probably some new research that we'll get to in later in the year. So um, Guy, why did you pick listening of, I mean, why are you interested in listening? How did this all start? It's a good question. Um, I've been conducting studies on listening for more than eight years now. Um, I, it started as the topic from my uh, doctoral dissertation. Um, and I come for a, from a place, I'm from Israel, and, uh, and, and in Israel people argue a lot. Mm-hmm. Like basically arguing is a form of basic communication, arguably. And one of the things that really interested me is first the opposite like if if so let's say i would ask you how many times did the person change your perspective when he or she argued with you and told you that you are wrong are you actually asking me to answer that yeah (laughs) never exactly exactly so and this this effect is called the boomerang effect and it was um and it's a well-known effect from the attitude change literature that when people um argue with us or put differently they threaten our freedom to hold the perspective that we feel that we want to hold and we become defensive and this defensiveness results in attitudes that are more extreme in the initial direction, meaning that instead of thinking about the arguments that you're trying to convey in order to change my perspective, I'm not really listening to you. I'm thinking how I am going to respond to you. And basically, when we argue, you give me an opportunity with, you know, um, quotation marks, an opportunity to and bolster my initial attitude. So this is why the reason that we see that when people argue, each side is becoming more and more extreme. And back in 2012, I started seeing this in my society, in the general society around the world, that we become more and more, more and more polarized, less connected. And listening is the opposite. Because if you think about it and you know it, you even know it much better than I do, and I will tell the audience that you um, serve as an expert to my RAs because we wanted to connect 
we want, I always want to connect research to practice and the insights that you get from people who actually do it in practice are priceless. And this is why I cherish our, one of the reasons I cherish our communication and our friendship. Um, so listening, arguably, and this was one of my hypotheses, reduces defensiveness. Because when someone really listens to us, um, we feel less anxious. Because we don't care anymore how do we look when we say the things we say. And this relaxation or reduction in anxiety thereof um, allows us to have better introspection about our own thoughts and reconsider our initial attitudes. And, and this, so basically, listening is the opposite of arguing with a person. So my working assumption during my begin my the time I began researching listening is that uh, listening merely listening it's not merely it's it's high quality listening will make speakers reconsider their initial attitudes and will make their attitudes more complex and less extreme and this is what I found in my dissertation um, and ever since I've been intrigued by this topic and doing more and more research because this is it's a complex world, but it's, it's an intriguing world, the world, the, the listening literature and research. You know, when I get to talk with you and you sort of go through these bullet points like this, I get so excited and like, ah, and it motivates me. It gets me really excited. And of course, I have a gazillion questions, but I just want to reflect back a few, a few things. So what's powerful is this boomerang effect that you're describing, where the more defensive or, or, or the more that someone argues with us, the more defensive we become, and then the more defensive we become, potentially the more anxious we become, the more angry we become, the less flexible we become in our thinking, we become even more rigid in our thinking. And all I could do was like, well, that's pretty much our world today. That's kind of all we do anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this is why I think that beyond, um, beyond the, like research, I think that you, talked, you mentioned before like, the importance of research, but research is important to the extent that you can really make a difference with it. So, and, and I think that, and, and I, I see it, and, 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 and truthfully, I began as a skeptic. I didn't think, I read, I started by reading Carl Rogers' work, um, but it was in a clinical setting, so I thought, okay, how can we implement it into our social world? So I was, I was a bit skeptic now that I reflect back about it. But the more I research it and the more I learn about it, the more I feel really strongly that listening is key to the change that we need to make, we are ought to make in our society. Um, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that the research on listening and other related positive interpersonal communications uh, constructs will eventually translate into more and more practices like you doing the sidewalk talk, so connecting between people. 
I, I see listening as a social glue that bonds people together. Um, the more we, we learn to do it, the better our lives will be. Um, well, you know that I'm on board with all of this. The yeah. question that's making me scratch my head right now, I mean, I can answer it for myself, but I'm curious if you have some other thoughts about it. Why? don't we listen more? Like what is in the way, why this primacy to speaking and writing and being the generator of the, of the context and the text and the words? Um, there are many reasons why we don't listen. Or if you, if you ask the average person, um, she or he will say that they are good listeners. But if you ask the, per the speaker, usually um, the perception will be much less positive. We over-evaluate our listening um, abilities. Um, and I see it in uh, the, the research seminar that I'm teaching in the university. At the beginning of the year, I ask uh, the students, how would you rate yourself as a listener? People usually give themselves relatively high grades. And after a few practices, relatively simple ones, people start to see how difficult it is. But I, I, I will mention some of the caveats of all the enemies of listening. The first one um, is fear of change. Um, and this is something that Carl Rogers argued about more than 60 years ago. When if, if you know it, even before it, Rogers, are, Rogers argued that people have a natural tendency to evaluate what they hear, meaning that when you talk to me, I have all these thoughts going uh, inside my head. Do I agree with you? Do I disagree with you? How will I respond? How will I... Look, how will I be perceived when I respond? What will you say? What question should I ask? And you know that that our capacity to listen is 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 twice as much as our capacity to speak. There is a nice sentence that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So we complete this gap by our own internal thoughts, and this is what Rogers calls the tendency to evaluate, and this prevents us many times from achieving real communication with the other person. But the thing about the fear of change is that um, sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes it's in the subconscious level, that people are often afraid that if they really listen to someone, they might need to change. And this can be threatening. Um, consider, for example, and, 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 and you know it much better than I do, a couple that is arguing. Each side is trying to change the other side. If I really listen to my spouse, I may realize that I was wrong. I've been married almost 11 years. I know that in most cases I'm wrong. But... Um, this, is one, this, is one, this is one example that... Um, we fear change, so this is one. The other one, li listening uh, has a cost. Listening requires time, volition, and, and, and motivation. And these, is, these are limited resources. 
um, we need to make the decision. Do I have the time or the willingness or the willpower to really listen to this person now? It's a resource. We get paid for these resources, for our time and for our efforts and for our putting our motivation in projects. So the same thing with listening. Good listening requires all these resources. So it's, it's a cost. And, and, and we, we do this cost-benefit analysis when we need to listen to someone. Again, it's more automatic than, than sometimes deliberative. Um, another one that I think would be interesting is um, the issue of power. Um, many people are afraid. I see it a lot on managers. Um, that if they really listen, they will really listen, let's say to their subordinates, they will lose dominance. And this is correct, by the way. There is some, there is some, it's relatively preliminary, but really, but really interesting research that shows that when a manager is perceived by the employee as a good listener, the employee will also ascribe less dominance to the manager. However, however, the manager will gain a different type of power, which is prestige. So, so put differently, if you listen well, you lose dominance and you gain prestige. Not everyone are willing to do this trade-off. Think of people who really value power. They have been trained and taught that if they wanna have an impact, they need to dominate the conversation. And now you're telling them to listen? It's like you're telling them to go, uh, to go sit outside. These are just three, there are many more, but, but they don't, can take me like an hour, so stop me if you want. <laughs> I wanna be one of your students is what I wanna be. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's powerful, powerful. Um, I, I want to ask you so many more questions. So I'm going to have folks, usually I reflect back each piece, but the fear of change, the cost, because listening does require resource and yeah. then power. You know, the last one makes me wonder, cross-culturally and maybe even from a systemic perspective, it seems like some cultures have either economic systems or social systems that might incentivize um, dominance kind of power. Um, have, you, have you done any research around cultures that maybe are better at listening versus cultures that aren't, or things that are in place inside systems that tend to foster better listening? I haven't, um, I haven't done it, this research myself, but the, and, and, and I looked for it because this is a question that I often received when I give talks about like, okay, so there must be some cultural differences between people. So the only evidence, the only empirical evidence that I know of is, uh, is work that compared Americans, uh, people, French people and Moroccans um, and um, with regard to leadership, so how will a uh, um, leader who is a good listener will be perceived in, for, in, in the eyes of employees from these three different cultures? 
and 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 they found some some evidence that um, the Americans tend to perceive it um, in a different way than the French and the Moroccans also tended to perceive it to be differently. But from my memory, and I'm trying to reflect back as we talk because I don't have it in front of me, um, the, the evidence were a bit mixed, and certainly more research is needed in this area. I think, by the way, even mostly in organizations. So I've been doing this uh, listening training studies for the past two years and from talking to the employees who um, participate in these listening trainings um, usually i don't let the manager be a part of the training because when the manager is a part of the training uh, the employees are like so you, you break them you, you break them uh, like the um, you, you you make it's 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 it creates inequality. So because the manager is always the dominant aspect. So um, in in a few organizations, I remember employees telling me. I remember in a, in one high tech organization after I think it was the fourth workshop that the instructor um, delivered. One it was, it was a high tech company and one programmer came to me and said, you know, um, these workshops are terrific. I learned so much. I didn't know listening entails so much benefits and so much requires so much training and, and really this, all this positive aspect. And then he said, but there is no way it's going to work here. And I was puzzled. This. I asked why. He said, because this, the the culture in this organization does not allow it. And, and then he said, and, and because of this, so I use it in my home with my, with my wife, with my kids, but I, 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 I don't, I'm skeptical that it's gonna, it's gonna really make a difference here. And then I became aware and, and I received a few more of these comments. And, and, and from my observations so far, and I'm talking about organizations, um, it really depends on the top management about the climate and the organizational culture that they convey to the employee. Meaning, so do, is there, a, let's say, a listening culture or a voice culture in this organization that will allow employees to feel that they can be safe if they express themselves? This is one of my dream research, research uh, because I'm going to need a lot of organizations to measure it, but it's like, at least from my observations, I can I definitely see how the, the top management has an, a huge impact on whether you can really make a difference with regard to listening in, in an organization. It, it's p powerful what you're saying, and serendipitously, I just uh, interviewed Dr. Laura Delazana that, that actually works with high-tech companies in the Silicon Valley, and her article, also in the Harvard Business Review, um, was all about how emotional safety and trust are like the key ingredients to the highest-performing Silicon Valley teams. Exactly, and, and, and I completely agree, um, but trust, let, let's take trust and cooperation, for example, or trust and a sense of relatedness. 
these are feelings. I can't order or tell an employee, you need to trust your colleagues. You right. need to feel related to your team. These are feelings. And, and, and you know, it's like when you tell to your kid, um, yeah, this is something, don't do this, don't do, you repeat it over and over and over. But if your kid sees you do the wrong thing once, that's it. So um, these are, when we talk about trust and relatedness and belongingness and cooperation, these are things that need to be trained and conveyed through behavior um, in, in the organization. I completely agree with all the perspectives that call for more um, uh, increase the emotional intelligence and be more of a people leader. But the question is how? Yeah. How are we going to do it? And I think listening is key here. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, you know, frankly, that's why we at Sidewalk Talk built, took some of the things that we've learned from the streets, took some of the things that we've learned from you, took some of the things that we've learned from other researchers and created a training because we started getting calls from companies. They'd see us on the sidewalk and they'd say, hey, we want you to bring this in here. And it's fascinating because I've gone into several tech companies, some a little more progressive than others. And there's one part of our training where we will actually do what we call silent listening, where we'll have two people do an eye gaze and it was as part of the pilot, they said, you can't do that here. For 60 wow. seconds, they said, really? that's too intimate. And I thought, wow, yeah. that's fascinating, yeah. right? That we cannot look at one of our colleagues for 60 seconds because that's too provocative. And to me, that just incentivized me to want to do it even more, but to figure out how to create some context and nuance around it, that it wasn't so frightening. Because I do believe 100% in what you're saying. If, if culture is such a slow thing to change inside of an organization, then the easiest place to start is with listening. So before we get on our soapboxes and, and have a, you know, a Kool-Aid fest about how much we love listening, from your perspective, what do you think, not what do you think, what have you discovered are the ingredients to good listening? Because, you know, we have our own way, you have your way, and I always love learning from you about what, what you've discovered in the research, and then I want to talk about the impact on the listener after, after that. So, listening is a, is a, has a complex, is, is a complex construct, and then I will tell you the three most important ingredients that we identified. Uh, interestingly, people tend to perceive it holistically. Meaning that even though I'm going to now present a relatively, maybe, uh, not, not a, a multifaceted construct, people after a few seconds can grasp whether the other person is really listening to them or not. Um, I remember in the first uh, talks that they gave in academic conferences, um, some some researchers came to me and said, you know, what are you talking about? Listening is smiling and nodding your head. What is all this theory and mechanism that you're talking about? Smile and nod your head and people will know that you will think that you're listening. So 
for I, I was happy to find out that this was not the case. So the three most important um, ingredients of good listening is you just mentioned the gaze um, is the first one is attention. Provide full attention to your speaker. Constant eye contact, and I, I think I sent you this paper about from 2002 about the role of the gaze. That yep. often um, people, uh, speakers, because of intimacy issues that all of us have, will not look at the listener the entire time. But every now and then, uh, now and then is every few seconds, they're gonna turn their look back in the, to the listener to see if the listener is still with them. And if in this second, which repeats itself several times, um, they will see that the listener is still looking at them, they will gain more power to introspect and will feel more secure in this conversation. So the first one would be at, is, is attention, constant eye contact, get, uh, don't put anything that can disturb you when you listen, um, I often get these remarks, but, but I put my phone on silence. Yeah, but we are addicted and there is research showing that we are addicted to our smartphones. So even if you put it on, uh, on silent mode and you see your phone suddenly with light, you're gonna turn your head to look who is, the, like from what's this message or email you just received. And this can be the second, that the speaker looks back at you. Um, and basically there is research from the 1980s showing that it's called the mere presence effect, that the mere presence of an electronic device during um, a social an interaction uh, reduces the quality of the interaction, the, the interaction, even without using it. So pay full attention, get, get rid of disturbances. So when I'm, because there's one thing I tease the, the sidewalk talk listeners about, I am working on boundaries as a human. I'm, I tend to not be great at setting them and work on my own codependence issues. <laughs> oh, but yeah. the Stay one here. thing that I am super bossy about is that you cannot have a cell phone in your hand at all when you're sitting in the listener chair. And it's the one place that I'm so passionate about it that I will go up and tap a talk or, or listener on the shoulder and say, you, you can't have that in your hand. Sorry. No. Not even in your hand. Yeah, <laughs> They're like, okay. I, <laughs> so I, I'm I, glad that you're validating that. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is immensely important because think of the message that you convey. And you, you, you know, I, one thing I, I notice is when you – when, when I talk to a person, if I take my phone from my pocket and look at it, even for a few seconds, the other person will also take the phone from the packet and, and, and look at it. Um, think oh, the more. first reaction is, ouch. Exactly. I mean, if you're talking about creating security and intimacy, that's like a big middle finger. <laughs> exactly. And, and think about what you're conveying. You're conveying... So I'm talking and then you're saying, wait a minute, I have something more important than you right now. So, and if we talk about, we talk about listening, which have, has all these benefits through creating a sense of acceptance and validation for the speaker, you're doing the opposite by using the phone. Even when you just, you don't answer a call. So this is one, att attention. 
the other per the other the second the second dimension is comprehension meaning showing the speaker that you understand or try to understand their perspective um, one of people's core needs is to feel understood by others this is by the way one of the best predictors of a relation of a, a marriage a satisfaction for marriage is not the extent to which I think I understand my wife it is the extent to which she feels that I understand her like so um, and this is one of the best predictors if not the best predictor of, of, of good relationships and so how do we convey understanding to the speaker uh, we have two main uh, ways to do it. One is to ask good questions. Ask good questions. Um, a good question is an open question. Um, rather than, we have a tendency to ask, I call it multiple choice uh, questions, such as, do you, do you agree with it or not? Or wouldn't you say that this person is an idiot? So basically, you're giving the answer, the required answer inside the question. A good question is first an open question, and it can be as simple as, how do you feel about it? Uh, don't give away the answer within the question. And it's a question that puts the needs of the speaker um, before the interest of the listener. So let's say you and I work together, and you just told me about a really frustrating experience you had with a mutual colleague and you just want to vent and i asked you well, so tracy what what did she do after she left the room where do you think she went and you will be like i could care less where she went i want to tell you and and, and this is a bad question and a bad questions are can can take the conversation to completely different places so there are many other aspects to asking good questions. And this is one. Um, one, just one more example. I'm sorry, as, as you ask a question and I'm thinking like almost like eight years of research come to like going through my, my head. Um, the difference between a how question and a why question. So for example, I can ask you, how did it happen? Versus why did it happen? Would you feel a difference? between the two questions? Totally, one feels more evaluative, the other one feels like it paints a picture, a story. Exactly, exactly. So these, these are all small but so important nuances in, the, in questions. It's a, we can have a talk about questions as a separate issue. Um, and the other one is, uh, the other way of showing understanding is uh, providing reflection to the speaker. And so reflection is that I repeat in my words what I heard from you. And many people initially think that if they don't get a completely accurate picture of what the speaker said, they would be perceived as bad listeners. But this is not true because when you reflect, um, you do several things. First, you convey that you to the speaker that you really want to understand their perspectives and um, so you signal good intention second you let them hear themselves from outside and third 
you will gain more information from them, which is one of the benefits of being a good listener. Good listeners gain more information because after a good reflection, it is advisable to ask, um, did I understand you correctly? And is there anything else? Or did I miss anything? And a lot of times the speaker will say, you know what? Now that when you, when, you, when you say it, I just remember that this and this and this and this because the more deep the information is, the more deep inside our head is and the more time it takes to get it out. And the third one I will briefly say it is having good intentions towards the speaker and it's mostly being non-judgmental. And this does not mean that you have to agree with the content that the speaker shares. So I can share with you an attitude that you may be completely opposed to. But if you give me the feeling that I have the right to hold this attitude and you accept, not agree with my attitude, but accept my right to hold this attitude, I will feel that you are being non-judgmental towards your acceptance, or I will feel accepted. And as a result, I will feel more safe and less anxious. So, and the, the intention component, the non-judgmental component, is not is not because I know that these questions, this is usually comes afterwards. It does not mean you have to agree with the perspective. It means you have to agree with the right of the person to hold this perspective. And these are completely different. Uh, so, in essence, you're saying you have the right to feel what you feel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I know that we just have a little bit more time left here, but I'm immediately making the link to how listening is also part of our health because what, what you're fundamentally saying is that when you reflect somebody in this kind of way and you pay attention to them in this kind of way, that you, that you reduce their defensiveness, which we already know, and their self-consciousness. They start to feel less judged. They start to feel like they can maybe move around inside of their thoughts in a freer way, so perhaps even more creative. They're feeling more intimate and related to you, which we know intimacy is part of loneliness, and loneliness is part of our physical and mental health. I mean, it makes sense why therapists get paid to do what they do, right? And that at the bedrock of what, what Carl Rogers was saying was, look, you've got to get good at accurate empathy. Um, because accurate empathy, not performative, I call it performative empathy, where you're kind of happy, fake listening. That's the smile and nod thing that your colleague said. Yeah. But accurate empathy, where the intention is really there, I want to know who you are. Exactly. This kind of listening contributes to people's health. I mean, am I reaching too far to suggest? No, 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 no. There are numerous evidence of, let, let me give you just a couple of them. First, I found in consistently in my research that listening reduces speakers' anxiety, both state anxiety and social anxiety, which is an indicator of well-being. Uh, so the, more, the, the, better, the, the better the listening you experience as a speaker, the less anxious you will feel. This is an increasement, this is an increase in your well-being, um, arguably. And now we have a research we just submitted um, about um, difficult conversations. What, happened, what happens to speakers when they share content which is not so socially acceptable? And we found there across was three experiments, actually four experiments, one was a pilot study, that 
when speakers uh, receive high quality listening, they, um, maintain, they have higher self-esteem when they share a difficult, when they disclose a difficult topic uh, relative to merely having a listener that is even like a regular, relative to regular listening. Um, and we found that this increase in uh, the speaker's self-esteem is explained by an increase in relatedness and felt autonomy. And these are all indicators or if we want to be more careful, proxies or antecedents of well-being. And there are much more, by the way. So it's definitely, you can feel confident to say that listening increases the speaker's well-being. There is ample evidence showing it. Well, and what I also love that you're, you're giving a nod to is this, this play between our sense of self as it's tied to our sense of we. Because what I had just heard you say is that when I share something really difficult to an excellent listener, my self-esteem goes up. And then what I do with that self-esteem out in the world is that I have more autonomy to take action out in the world. And one of those things I might do with that autonomy is go out and relate better to somebody else or produce something. But nevertheless, you can see and hear the interplay between the I and the, and the we and the I and the we and the I and that we need a good we to create a good I and then we need a good I to create a good we and then on and on it goes. Exactly, exactly. And in this, this, and, and in this research uh, that I just mentioned and we submitted it a few weeks ago, I really hope it we get in because it's really an important one. We also found, so the difficult topic was always was expressing a negative bias towards outgroups. And one main outcome that we found is that when people receive good listening, they, their prejudice is reduced. So you feel higher sense of autonomy, more relatedness. You have higher self-esteem and you report less, you are less prejudiced towards uh, the out group that you discussed. Well, you know that I'm super interested in that. And I also, yeah, we are, I, we I also published this one. You know how research goes. When I was in grad school, I was taught, and this is so true, that you have to have the skin of an elephant to, to, to survive in, in this area because you, you, you submit a paper, um, this is why I like talking to you because you're, you're giving me confidence when you, I submit it to the reviewers, I get back what's wrong with the paper. So, but I, I, I really hope that this research will come out because showing that listening can reduce speakers' prejudice has so many social uh, or um, practical contributions. Um, so I hope we will be able to to talk about it and to implement it into in society and the real world and the real world outside of our laboratory. Yeah. Well, we've run out of time to talk about the impact on the listener, but what I will say to everyone listening, because I have to go to a psychotherapy session and I can't be late for those. Um, what, I, what I will say to everybody listening is that one of the things that Dr. Ichikov guy is helping us work on is to measure the impact on listeners. Because yeah. well-being on listeners also 
goes up. And, and we had anecdotal evidence, but now we're starting to measure it. So I'm really excited to, to get to put that out there. But we have a very, even though I hate shutting you, I feel like I'm shutting you down and I don't want to, but um, gosh, I could talk to you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a tradition though. We have a little sweet tradition that we've started now that this, this podcast has gotten rolling. And that's where you, you get to step out of your researcher doctor hat for a second and speak directly to all of the sidewalk talk listeners around the world. And you could either offer them a wish or one piece of advice as we close here today. So what would you want to say directly mm. to them? What, what was the first option before advice? Wish, a wish ah, okay. or a piece of advice? Um, the wish that I um, want to send to all the sidewalk listeners around the world is, first I want them to know how much I appreciate the work that they are doing. Um, I think that they are making much more impact on, on society than we do in, in the academia. And um, my, my dream, and you know, because we've been talking about it for a long time, that we will be, be able to empirically show, but I'm still in my researcher my researcher head, so I'm stepping outside as you asked. I, I wish them to feel that they are making an impact on the world, on society, or even on their close neighborhood or family or group of friends. Because when we feel that we have an impact on someone, our, um, we, we feel higher sense of uh, meaningfulness. Um, and, and this is key to, to prospering. So I wish them to prosper through having positive influence over others. That was so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. And this is only the beginning. We'll have lots more to talk with you about, but um, thanks for taking the time. And we've had this conversation before, but now we get to have it sound edited and make it sound all pretty and put your new headshot up with it. So, Thanks for being a part of this organization. And I think we, the motivation is bi-directional. I, I don't know if I would have yeah. had the gumption to keep going if it weren't feeling like you were kind of at my, at my side, kind of rooting us on. So thank you for that a lot. Thank you for inviting me. And you know that I'm always happy to talk. All right. Have a good rest of your day and hi to your girls. Yeah, I will. Thank you, Tracy. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of